his earthly ministry. He shared the meal with his disciples. He reinstituted this meal. Last week we took part in that where he took a Passover feast and made it into something new, which was about his death and resurrection. He reinstituted it, gave it to us as the Lord's Supper so that we would have it in the church so that every time we gather around the table for the Lord's Supper and we share together in that and we remember Christ's death until he returns, we're a part of his plan for redemption history. So we get to play a role in that and in proclaiming the excellencies of what he's done. Now, what happens right after the meal is Jesus grabs his disciples, they sing a hymn, as Dale talked about, and then they head out to the garden. And when they head to the garden at night, Jesus is kind of on the down low, right? He is He's not out in public anymore right now. He goes to the garden to pray. He then leaves some of his disciples behind. He takes his three most trusted disciples, which we still haven't figured out in the Gospel of Mark why they are the three most trusted disciples because they seem to be the ones who never understand anything. Um, He shows them his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. They go, oh, you know, he goes here, they fall asleep. The fact of the matter is Jesus takes these three, goes to the garden and goes to pray. And from this point on, Jesus is going to be at the center of everything you see in the Gospel of Mark. This is the story of Jesus' passion, of his death and resurrection for us. And what you're going to notice if you pay close attention is how alone Jesus is in this story. He's kind of been alone the whole time. It's, It's part of what comes with leadership. It's part of what comes as a pastor. It's part of what comes in life when you take leadership and you lead out is you end up being ahead of people or separate from people a lot of times. And you you get very alone. I don't know if you've ever felt alone. Anybody ever felt alone? Anybody just wish you were alone? (laughs) Maybe that's the better question. All right. Have you ever felt lonely? Anybody? And how easy it is when you feel lonely to go to the next step of despair or anybody? Just been there where you just... How do I get out of this? Where do I go from here? And and there's a loneliness that comes with knowing what your assignment is from God and nobody else seems to get it. And Jesus is going to be in the middle of this loneliness and he's going to be sustained by his relationship with the Father and by the purpose for which he came. I want you to see Jesus alone. I want you to notice how alone he is today in this passage of Scripture. Because I think there's hope for us and our loneliness and when we feel alone. But more than that, I want you to understand that with Jesus being alone, He alone is our hope and our salvation. He has entered into being rejected so that we won't have to be rejected. He's entered into being alone so that we don't have to be alone. He's taken that upon Himself. So I'm just going to read through this passage of Scripture beginning with verse 32. And I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to take my time through it because I want you to picture, I want you to place yourself there and notice how alone Jesus is. And we're going to dive into this for just a few moments today. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. 
And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even though they left him alone, he's more concerned with their souls. Isn't that just amazing, the grace of God there? The grace shown by Jesus. They fell asleep when he said, watch. And he comes back and he's concerned about them. He's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about them. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under, under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know from other gospels that was that was uh, that was Peter who did that. We know the servant of the high priest is Malchus. And Jesus said to them, "Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled." And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him. Some would say this is Mark, the author of this gospel, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. It was necessary for there to be two witnesses to every testimony in a trial, and they couldn't find anyone who could agree with each other. <laughs> and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, 
for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Jesus alone is our salvation and redemption. But Jesus being alone was the plan of God. We can't pay for ourselves. We can't pay for our own redemption. We can't pay for our own sins. We can't pay for our own forgiveness. Jesus alone is our hope. And Jesus alone, as He is in this passage, even among a crowd, He is alone. When we see Him alone, we see our salvation at hand. First of all, I want you to see this. Jesus is alone in His praying. Not just... By location, he goes off to pray. He leaves his disciples behind and he goes a little further. He's alone in his anguish and his agony. He tells them that he is scared, that he's feeling this agony and anguish. They don't understand. If your teacher, best friend, leader, the guy you know is the Messiah, says, I'm in anguish, and you go to sleep, you don't understand. But their eyes were heavy, right? So Jesus is praying alone. He's crying out to the Father. He's asking for this cup to be taken from Him. His anguish and His agony are such that in other Gospels we read that, he, that He's sweating blood. He's taking the cup of God's wrath against sin upon Himself and He's, he's experiencing the loneliness that that brings, the isolation that that brings. Because sin always isolates us, doesn't it? From the garden, God coming and saying, where are you, Adam and Eve? And they were hiding, isolated. The one that he, the one that brought them close was now one they were hiding from. And as he's taking upon himself our guilt, our sin, he's brought into anguish and agony. But I love what happens here because it's such a, such a beautiful reminder of how we have gone astray and yet Jesus has taken upon himself to be the strength that we can never be. Look at what it says here as he's praying. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was alone in his praying in agony and in anguish. But he's also alone in his assignment. No one else could do this job. Jesus alone can do this job. And so he says, not my will, but yours be done. And I just wonder how often in our prayers we actually pray the opposite. Now, we would never be so bold as to say, not your will, but mine be done, Lord. But do we really consider the will of the Father? When we're crying out to Him in our agony and anguish. First of all, I realize now, as I'm reading this, and as I look at this, that Jesus being alone in His anguish and agony makes it okay for me to have anguish and agony. I don't have to feel guilty 
for the anguish and agony I feel. I don't have to have condemnation for the fact that I feel certain things. Jesus, perfect in every way in anguish and agony. But if I'm being honest, most of the things I agonize about are, have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. They have everything to do with me and my comfort and my desires. Just wonder, as I look at Jesus alone in His praying, was He taking upon Himself my unwillingness to say, not my will, but Yours be done, Lord? I believe in Jesus being alone, He's now being separated from the rest of us. Because He's taking upon Himself all of the guilt of the rest of us. And in His praying, He is alone. Jesus is alone in his betrayal. So right after this, he comes back. He goes, you guys couldn't even stay awake an hour. What's wrong with you guys? And he says, fine, let's just go. It's time. My betrayer's at hand. And here comes the crowd. Not a couple of guys to get one guy. Not a couple of cops coming to get a guy, right? It's like, let's bring the whole group. This is a lynch mob waiting to happen. They come out. They have swords. They have clubs. They have their torches. They come out clanging into the garden. And they come to arrest Jesus. And they come out there. And immediately it is obvious that Jesus is the target. Because Judas has set this up. He's going to go up and he's going to kiss Jesus. And that's going to be the sign. And look at the betrayal. Look at how he is isolated here. No one else, even though he has this gaggle of followers around him, right? No one else is being arrested here. Just Jesus. If you want to put down an insurrection or something you're afraid of, you got to arrest a lot more than one person. But they come after Jesus. He's the target because this is the way God designed it. So they come and here's, here's Judas. He walks up and he says, Rabbi, which is a, a term of great respect. So in his betrayal... Judas is showing a false respect to Jesus. And then he kisses him, which is a a sign of great affection. Have you ever been betrayed by someone who you thought respected you and loved you? Because Jesus has been betrayed alone, then we can forgive those who betray us. We can love those who persecute us and hate us because Jesus is alone. Jesus alone in his betrayal. But this is what he says. Look at it. He goes, why did you come after me like I'm some sort of robber? Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? I've been in the temple every day. I've been in the streets teaching. You could have grabbed me anytime you wanted to, Jesus says. Why do you come in secret? Why do you come with a crowd? All you had to do, I mean, if you were going to arrest Jesus and you were the temple guards and you were all of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, if you wanted Jesus arrested, I might have done it right after he started tipping over some stuff at the temple, right? Pulls out the whips and starts getting people out of the temple courtyard. I think people would have at least understood why you were arresting him. But they didn't want to cause a scene, so they go, they go at, under cover of night. And it's interesting here in John chapter 3, a man comes to Jesus by night who doesn't want anybody to know that he's coming to Jesus. And in that moment, he comes seeking a word from Jesus who he sees as a great teacher, a rabbi. 
and He hears that unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. He hears, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He hears the good news and hears this crowd coming over under cover of night to Jesus and they come, Teacher, Rabbi, with a kiss of betrayal. And Jesus is taken away He's taken away and in other Gospels we see Him protecting His disciples. He steps forward. He gives Himself over. So here's Jesus in His betrayal alone standing as the Good Shepherd. And He does it because of what's said in verse 49. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is alone is the one who can fulfill the prophecies about him. And in his betrayal, as he was rejected by men, as he, was, as he takes the chastisement upon himself, he fulfills this prophecy. So then Peter or, or picks up the sword, chops off the ear, right? And here Jesus protects even Peter. What grace. What grace from Jesus that as the good shepherd, he's still protecting the sheep. Sometimes when if you're going to walk as Jesus walks, you're going to have to look out for the best interest of those around you before yourself. And here Jesus is, all the ability to fight back, and yet he turns himself over. And that brings me to the third way Jesus is alone. Not only is he alone in his praying and his betrayal, but he's alone in his authority. <laughs> I love this. You've got chief priests... You've got the scribes and the elders. You've got the crowd and they come. And I will tell you right now, not one of them could have laid a hand on Jesus had he not wanted them to. It says they laid hands on him. And if you're a man of any sort, somebody lays hands on you, you know what that means and it's time to go, right? And the crowd comes up and lays hands on Jesus. They could not take him if he didn't want them to take him. I want to remind you, this is the same Jesus who at the beginning of all creation spoke, let there be light, and there was light. He is the very Word of God made flesh. He caused the sun to shine. No one was taking Him without His willingness. They thought they had the authority. He brings them before the high priest. He's now before the high priest. The high priest thinks he has authority. And yet Jesus is truly the only one with authority. He's the one who surrenders himself. He's the one who submits himself even to false trials. But he never stops being sovereign. Even here he says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. He doesn't argue his case. He goes, you could have grabbed me anytime you wanted to, but this is the way it's meant to be. And he stays in control as sovereign. We have many authorities who speak into our lives. Are you listening to the right one? The one who has true authority. The one who is truly sovereign. When we see Jesus alone as the, as the one who has authority, then we know that he is executing not my will, but your will be done. He's executing now as he says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. He's executing God's plan of your will be done. And he's doing it by his authority. 
We also see that Jesus is alone in his truthfulness. In the middle of all of this, there's a big cover-up going on. There's a big falsehood. There's a lot of lies being tossed around. First, it starts with the crowd coming out and acting like he's some sort of robber or strong man. Second, it's, it's Judas with rabbi and showing love and yet betraying him. And then he gets into this whole trial, whatever this is. And these trials aren't supposed to be happening at night, but they, they want to get him done with the trial so that the next morning Pilate will see him first thing in the morning because that's the only way they can get him killed is for the Romans to say he will be killed. So they've got to get this trial done to get him to Pilate in the morning because Pilate had a tendency to only see cases first thing and then he took the rest of the day off. And so they're doing this mock mockery of a trial, this false trial, and there's a false arrest, there's false witnesses, there's this false trial, and look how bad it gets. It's astounding. All of the people, verse 55, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. They have the whole crowd there, they have all of Jesus' enemies, and they can't get a straight answer from anybody. Isn't it interesting when you see this if you if you are a police officer or you've been you've watched a TV show, right? And uh, they take two people and they put them in separate rooms and they try to get a statement out of both of them to see if the statements match. They have people in the same room and they can't get their statements to match. People are throwing out false statements about Jesus and Nothing can back them up. I love it. Somebody even quotes and says something that he said about the temple. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And even there they couldn't get the same testimony and it wouldn't agree. Then Jesus gets asked a question. In the middle of all of this lying, Jesus gets asked a question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. He spoke the very name of God to him. Reminding him of his authority. Reminding him or telling of him of his power. And that he alone is the truth in the middle of all these lies. The never changing one. The one who speaks truth and speaks things into being the I am. Jesus alone as the truth can save us from all of our falsehood. Jesus alone. Jesus is alone in his silence here. I think this is maybe the most fascinating part of it. All of these false witnesses come forward. Nobody can agree on anything. And then in verse 61 it says, but he remains silent and made no answer. Look, somebody comes and arrests me out of a garden, I'm fighting. Anybody else? Fight back. No, he doesn't. Somebody wants to keep lining up people in front of me to tell lies about me in order to try to kill me. Anybody else fighting back? Anybody else defending yourself? But Jesus, in his authority and in his sovereignty and in his truthfulness, stays silent. 
Not my will, but yours be done. No defense and no denial. You know, there was a chance he could have gotten out of this. And it happens right when the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Had he gone, No, 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 no. You've misunderstood. They probably would have let him go. But Jesus in the truth of who he is does not deny who he is because this is the plan of God. Jesus alone in his silence is deafening above all of the lies and all of the accusations, all that's being thrown at him. Jesus is alone in his power. And I want want you to see this as I close. Jesus and his praying and his betrayal and his authority and his truthfulness and, and his silence, Jesus alone is powerful. And this is our true hope. And there's, there's three times here you see, there's three ways you see his power in juxtaposition to other types of power. The first is this. Here comes the crowd with the betrayer, right? And here's Peter. And Peter picks up a sword, right? And chops off an ear. Jesus is the rock. And he's already called Peter the rock. Who's the real rock here? Because while Peter lops off the ear, Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on, gets led away, stands silently before his accusers, taking the will of the Father upon himself, while Peter sits out with the guards and denies even knowing him. The power of the sword... Versus the power of God. And then you have temporary authority versus an eternal king. This is good news for us, folks. I want you to see this. This is good news for us. Jesus is going to be brought between before authority after authority after authority, and yet he's the eternal king. They're going to sit on thrones in judgment over him, and yet he is the judge of everyone. And we can't miss that. In all of the various judges and rulers that Jesus is going to come before, He stands supreme. And His judgment at the cross and through the resurrection supersedes all the judgments made about Him. And what this really comes down to is, in this scene, a high priest versus the true high priest. A high priest who's making accusations. A high priest who, in, when Jesus says that he is, that he is, he said, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the Blessed. He then goes on to say, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. You think you have power. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of power. And coming with the clouds of heaven. And this is what the high priest does. I, lo- I love this because you see a picture here of what a false high priest versus the true high priest. You see a picture here. Here's the high priest. He stands up and he tears his garments and says, this guy's got to be arrested. You don't need to hear anything else. In this dramatic move, he, he rips his garments because of the blasphemy he's just heard. And within hours, the real high priest will not rip his garments. He'll be ripped pieces for us a real high priest our real high priest lays down his life 
Because our real high priest is not only the one who makes the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. Don't miss Jesus in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the betrayal, in the midst of the denial of Peter that he even knows him. Don't miss Jesus. Because Jesus being alone in his praying means that Jesus alone can accomplish our salvation for prayerlessness and temptation. Jesus being alone in his betrayal means that Jesus alone in his death can pay for our betrayal. Jesus alone in his authority means that he alone has the authority to supersede our self-rule and our self-righteousness and to forgive us for all the times we thought we were king. And Jesus alone in His truthfulness means that Jesus alone can forgive us and redeem us out of our lying and false witness. Jesus alone in His silence becomes our defense. Jesus in His power heals us from our weakness and from our denial of Him. Don't miss this. I'll close with this thought. What's happening here as all of this evil is being done to Jesus. Jesus is silently taking all that evil upon Himself and the next day will take it upon the cross. None of these men who are doing this evil to Jesus outside of Judas himself are beyond the scope of Jesus' forgiveness on the cross. Every evil done to Jesus mirrors an evil in our hearts and our minds done to Jesus. And He can forgive them all. Jesus alone can do that. I praise the Lord that God's design was that Jesus would be alone so that now Jesus alone is our hope. Our guilt was accepted by Jesus so that we could gain all of His guiltlessness, all of His redemption, all of His perfection, all of His holiness so that we could find our life in Jesus alone. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus suffered tremendously for you and for me. He was alone for you and for me so that you and I don't have to be alone. So that we can be brought near. So we can be brought into the family. So that those who are redeemed by Him, those who are bought by Him, those who are forgiven by Him become sons and daughters of God. And are never alone. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. I guarantee that anybody here would love to talk to you about that after the service. Pastor Roger would love to talk to you about that after the service. So don't leave. Until you hear more about Jesus alone being our hope. Don't miss Jesus this Easter. We talk about that all the time at Christmas. Isn't it interesting? Don't miss Jesus and all the lights and all of the trees and all that stuff. And we seem to miss Jesus even more at Easter, don't we? Because we'll spend weeks and months getting ready for Christmas. Have you prepared your heart for the risen Lord? 
How are you getting ready to show that Jesus alone is our life? Let's pray. Father, whatever it may be that is grabbing our hearts and our lives, I pray that today Jesus alone would take its place. Or we need Jesus more than and before anything else. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be powerful now as we respond to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.